Welcome to Pivotal. I'm Hayat Gallo, Corporate Vice President for Commercial Solutionaries at Microsoft. I get to work with customers around the world to help them transform their business through technology. At the center of every transformation are people who give technology its purpose. They are the ones who spark visionary ideas for leveraging technology and have the drive to push them forward for their business while empowering others. We like to talk about technology. I know I like to talk about technology. And we often forget the heroes behind technology and transformations. You, we forget you. And that's what I want to talk about through Pivotal. Today on Pivotal, we're meeting with Jenny Lefleury. I got to meet Jenny when I was in office engineering, when I have responsibility for accessibility. Jenny is our Microsoft Chief Accessibility Officer. She's been super hard at work, opening doors for people at Microsoft and beyond in the last 15 years to make our organization much more accessible. It's not the field she expected to go into when she was younger. In fact, Jenny's first love is music. I was just in a car drive and, you know, I'm playing my music rather loud. I mean, I, I don't sing in company anymore. Deaf Girl does not sing. But a bit of Brandy Carlisle, I'm going to see her live this weekend, and I cannot wait. Jenny grew up in England and has had a serious hearing impairment since she was young. Her parents and youngest sister are also deaf. And as a teenager, she spent a lot of time volunteering and working with deaf children at summer camps and after-school programs. But she really didn't think it was something she would ever make a career of. Well, first of all, they both told me that I was not allowed to be a teacher, so that we'd already ruled that out. You know, both of them by then were head teachers, principals, you know, to Americanize that. And they, they had told me under no uncertain terms I was not allowed to become a teacher because uh, that was honestly my natural tendency was to go down that route. My dad had aspirations for me to be a doctor or a lawyer at the time. And there was a kind of a very gentle kind of no. I'm applying to music schools. That took a little bit, but both of them have always been very supportive. Uh, and I was playing music from my God, a, you know, age dots. So there was no real big surprise by that point. Jenny went on to get a bachelor's of music from University of Sheffield. I play pretty much everything, but I, I was trained classically, woodwind, keyboards. But I wouldn't say that I'm great anymore. I, I think you, when you go through music school, you learn the discipline, you learn the the importance of spending time in those practice rooms and you spend a lot of time crafting one single piece of music. Don't quite have that level of time anymore. So I would never profess to be good. I definitely consume more than I play these days. And then she was hit with the reality of life, trying to figure out how she was going to make a living with her music degree. Ginny explains it's pretty hard to find work as a deaf musician. Took some time after that to really figure out, you know, what I wanted to do. Music therapy, music education, again, being warned by my parents not to be a teacher and uh, yeah, really consuming a lot of different things. I, I did a lot of respite care in the months after my degree, continued to work. I'd worked all the way through college at, a, at different pubs behind the bar and, and restaurant and waitressing and all that sort of good stuff. So as most kids do at, at early ages, early 20s, uh, I explored a lot of different things. But ultimately, it was a forcing function. I moved to London to be with uh, my then boyfriend and needed to pay rent. And so applied to lots of different companies out of the newspaper, sent my CV to anyone and everyone I could. 
and ended up working at the Daily Mirror. I worked on the IT help desk, which was, they, they took a shot on me. And I, you know, I give them a ton of credit for that because you got someone who really hasn't used a computer before, you know, my, my degree, I had to write maybe one or two papers and I did that on an electronic typewriter. So I wouldn't say that I was the most tech savvy on paper, although I played all the way through as a kid. I was, I mean, I had a ZX81 and a Dragon 32 and a Dragon 64 and I was all into gaming programming back then, but it just wasn't the education path I took. So they took a shot on me. I was on the IT hub desk, just supporting journalists using their computers. It might seem like a huge jump, music to IT. It actually makes sense to me. If you think about music, it's about logic patterns, and coding is about patterns. I think for me, I, I love logic. Uh, I mean, music is math. Programming, there's a lot of math. And uh, I love that. You know, you'll find me anything mathematical having fun. Apart from my kids' middle school math, that's a whole different thing. But I loved the games that that I got to program and play with, mostly because they were logic based or, you know, based on some part of history I was interested in uh, as a kid. So I think we all learn in different ways. So after spending a little time at the newspaper, Jenny began to stretch her wings, taking on jobs at smaller ISPs and startups. This was during the dawn of the internet edge, and there was a lot of boom and bust going on. But Jenny says she was lucky and seized the learning opportunity of the dot-com era. She was young, didn't have any kids or financial obligation. She was kind of free to ride the wave of nerdery, as she calls it. I don't know if I'm allowed to use it, but it, I do use it. It's just a great way of describing the technical ecosystem. And I think back then, the kind of nerdery I was getting into was a lot of connectivity, mobile. I worked in T-Mobile on those, some of the first video messaging platforms, actually for football games over there, um, was some of the first forays into that with T-Mobile. But also looking at you know database ecosystems and how we were getting really large packets of data from one place to another. So yeah, it was it was good. It was the it was the era of the AOL CD disk and lots and lots of different ISPs coming up in that time. And so it was a real fun boom and bust period. And you just had to ride it. You know, there was a lot of anxiety built into that because you were in a company that suddenly would go bankrupt. But uh, I, I had a blast. The people I worked with were incredible. The need and the demand was there. And it was just really fun to build environments and learn from everyone around me. And there were some just amazing nerds that led the way in those times that, that I feel really privileged now to have learned from. Jenny was working at T-Mobile when she says she got an unexpected call from a recruiter for Microsoft. Happens a lot. They were looking for someone to work in tech support for Hotmail and some other Microsoft programs. And never dreamed for a second I would get the job. It was more of a fascinating curiosity to go through the process and see what that process was really like. I met with a lot of people, a lot of panel interviews back then. I wore my suit to go into Microsoft UK and then quickly realized that no one else was wearing a suit. and kind of had to adapt my wardrobe very quickly and was honestly shocked when I got the, the job offer and then joined the company and started a very different learning process, which was you know, how to work in a corporate, you know, the size of Microsoft, 
working across Europe at the time, you know, really figuring out how to support customers in Sweden versus Denmark versus France or Germany. So it was, you know, a very, very, again, fun time working across those regions. And I stay in touch with some folks, you know, 17 years on. Now, up until this point in her life, Ginny had sort of been hiding her deafness. She got by with reading lips and using other tricks to keep track of conversation. But she began to realize that there had to be a better way. And frankly, it wasn't something she could ignore any longer. My deafness had been slowly sliding over many, many years. And there had been a few sort of cliff points that had happened in my 20s. And I'd I'd had some positive and negative experiences where people had learned about my deafness and and viewed me with a very different light. Uh, And I'll be honest, it was hard to get a job as a deaf musician. And so I'd learned really from a young age to hide it pretty well, which I can do because my speech is so good. I'm really modest as well. Um, But I, I could really be deceptive with it and be deceptively deaf. And I watch the room very carefully. So I came to Microsoft and I was honest that that I had a hearing impairment, but I didn't speak to the extent of it at the time. And I didn't ask for any accommodations coming into interview. I didn't ask for captioning or an interpreter or anything, which in hindsight was was really silly. I think some of that was in my head. There was no chance of me getting the job. And the other was, again, I was worried about being perceived negatively because of my deafness. So I went through all those interviews, about 11 of them, without any assistance. And I guess this is the moral of this story is don't do what I did. You know, I I didn't do my research as much as I should have done on Microsoft and how they viewed disability, on the support they, they would give. I didn't have that candid conversation with the team around me. And they saw me as someone who was thriving and doing well, but they didn't know the struggles that I was having and how exhausted I was because lip reading only gets you 30 to 50% of the conversation. So it was very much a case of don't do what I do. Don't do what I did back then. Jenny got the job and she quickly discovered there were people throughout Microsoft talking about accessibility and their disabilities too. And so she began collaborating across employee resource groups to learn from her colleagues. So employee resource group at Microsoft are groups where individuals can come together and rally around specific challenges or goals that they want to go after. So there is a variety of those ERG groups, as we call them. It's all voluntary, but it's all anchored on people wanting to make a difference. I think I had this illusion of Microsoft being a company where people never communicated. They would just email one another. I had all these visions of how I thought it would work. And that just wasn't true. People love to talk and communicate here. And it's a very collaborative environment. And that's been a constant throughout, you know, 17 and a half years I've been here now. So I I found that I needed assistance. And I was floundering a little bit because I was working across different regions, different accents on a lot of phone calls. And video wasn't as constant then as it is now. So I joined the deaf community. I joined every other community because I'm kind of nosy, found that they were all talking about the same stuff. With the help of a lot of people created the Disability Employee Resource Group and then chaired that for many years, I almost 10, and basically learned from every part of the company, every, you know, with mobility or ADD or uh, blindness, uh, mental health, whatever it may be, just listening to the conversations 
how do I self-identify to my manager? How do I talk about disability? Aren't we a technical company? And couldn't we be doing something amazing? Accessibility was a constant throughout, whether it was access to buildings, to meeting rooms, or digital environment, calls, emails, and everything else. And so accessibility began to pull me in. But it was my night job for quite some time. It ended up starting to be my day job. About six, seven years in, I made a really big switch to go full-time on this and then became the CAO seven years ago. As Jenny got involved with different employee resource group, she found they had a lot of things in common. Not just with other people with disability, but also with anyone at Microsoft. In fact, this idea of making Microsoft more accessible would benefit everyone in the company It was solidified for Jenny at the company meeting that took place more than 10 years ago. We used to have our meetings every year at our local baseball field here in Seattle, Safeco Field at the time. I think it's changed names since. And it's a very big open air field, not exactly built for conferences. And so the deaf, hard of hearing community would go, but not really to hear what was going on, just to be a part of the buzz with your teams and and spend time with the teams that you were working with. None of us could really hear what was being said or spoken on the stage. And I remember that I put in the ask for us to add captioning to the stage and it was going to cost quite a bit of money. I mean, it involved putting a big chunk of uh, electronics above the, the screen and that went to the chief people officer. And I remember getting the email from Lisa Brummel saying, let's do it. Let's see what we learn. And we did it. And let's just say the deaf community came out loud and proud uh, during that company meeting. But the feedback afterwards was actually very humbling because clearly we all like, this is great. We got to get it next year. We could finally hear what everyone was saying. But the feedback from the rest of the attendees was in many ways far stronger, which was, thank you for the captioning. I'm not deaf, but... I could never hear what every speaker was saying because of the stadium acoustics, because of the accents of speakers, um, you know, different microphone qualities. So thank you. I was able to catch every word this year. And that came from the non-deaf community um, and started, you know, since then, now we have captioning as standard in everything and sign language now and everything. And we're rolling out audio descriptions and everything as well. So That was the start of a very long journey. And that was just the beginning of Microsoft's accessibility journey that we're still on. A few years later, Jenny started what has become an annual Microsoft event, the Ability Summit. The first conference for employees with disabilities at the time, and that had about 20 people in the room across different disability groups talking about their lived experience together, not as like a deaf group or a blind group, but together. And I thought that was riotous. And it's it, I have to remember that because this year it's grown a little. It's open to the public now. And we had uh, 13,000 at that this year. So it's it's a slightly different scale these days. But the, the purpose and the need for it hasn't changed. We need to work together to accelerate and advance. The Ability Summit is an opportunity for anyone in and outside of Microsoft to learn about inclusive technology to share successes, and to think about what is next for accessibility. I had the opportunity to participate, and I have to say, I learned a lot. And it really anchored for me the need to build inclusive technology. Panos Panay, our chief product officer, 
an incredible leader on inclusive technologies announced the new Microsoft Adaptive Mouse Hub and Buttons, which are new hardware coming in this fall, designed for people with disabilities with the community. And, and what's really fun about these are they're available, affordable, and scalable. Uh, so if you just think about this as a tiny little mouse, but with a completely customizable tail. So whether you have dexterity issues, you have cerebral palsy and muscular dystrophy, depending on how your disability presents, you can use a tail that's going to help support you no matter where you are. And there will be about 10 tails that we'll be putting out there. And the same with the buttons. So these are all designed to help people to be able to customize it for what you need at the time and just get on with what you need to do. Of course, there is a lot more on the horizon for Microsoft's accessibility journey. I think in the area of disability and accessibility, there is always more to do than there are hours in the day. My list is very long and I make a dent in a little bit of it and then you know, get, get going on the next day and the next week and the next month. Because disability is an incredibly large spectrum, growing demographic around the world. And we've just gone through a mass disabling event with a pandemic that's adding to that demographic in a very serious way. You know, it's estimated that that's going to add in the U.S. alone somewhere between seven and 20 million to an already around 60 million base of people with disabilities. And that's just the United States. So I think the need is forever top of mind for me. And my hope is that Whether you have a disability or even feel comfortable using the word disability, you know that there's technology that can actually help you to be more efficient, to be more productive with your time, to allow you to communicate effectively with friends, family and work and school environments. Because I think that's that's really our ultimate goal. You know, it's been very, very fun to see the impact of some of the technologies in Windows coming through, just how they're going to have you know, impact on my life, but more importantly, impact on many, many people out there across the disability spectrum. But again, always more to do. But Jenny would tell you, there are still a lot of misconceptions and failings around accessibility that we need to tackle. Every organization, including Microsoft, has a lot to learn about being inclusive and building the skills to be a truly accessible company. A lot of people see this as optional. It's not. They see people with disabilities as uh, less than or not worthy of equitable pay. Subminimum wage is still a legal practice in the States and many other countries. Again, no. That products, it's okay to launch products that are inaccessible. Uh, again, no. Yeah, that's exclusion. I think the other one is less misconceptions, but I would say the opportunity ahead is for disability and accessibility to be something that we all wallow in and learn about. I think there's opportunities to build skills, for everyone to be comfortable with disability language and to know that it's just part of being human, to not fear it, but to know where to go if you do experience it. And we got to remember that most people with disabilities don't aren't born with this. They come to it through accident and injury and old age. And so you know, how we can help people to be a part of this community, because you're all coming my way, is really, really important. Jenny says, even if you don't identify as disabled, you've probably been helped by accessibility option, whether you realize it or not. I know for me, it was dictating emails to my phone. 
And it was the first time, you know, it was funny when we built that feature because I was in that team. At first, we were really focused on that. And then we were like, the usage is going through the roof. What's going on? And then we realized we helped everybody. Why? Because people spend their time in cars, commuting, and you can't be typing. So that's the power, right? Most of our technologies are being built by our employees with disabilities in some form or fashion. In Microsoft Teams, there is a hand raise function that came from a neurodiverse engineer. In Windows 11 coming out this fall, we have live captioning, which is basically captioning available online and offline right there on your screen. That came and, and was kickstarted by one of our deaf engineers. Mouse pointer is another one that we're really pursuing at the moment for our low vision. That again came from low vision folks, some of them on my team. And so When you have talent with disabilities, you're quite simply going to create better stuff. Again, captioning isn't just for cool deaf people. The benefits are for everyone. So it's really incumbent on everyone to explore how are you opening doors to disabled talent and how are you closing them? The unemployment underemployment is outrageous. The unemployment rate is double that for people with disabilities versus not. The underemployment, in fact, worries me even more which is where people are are hired for jobs far lower than their skill level. And often it's because the interview cycle is not inclusive for that talent pool. Neurodiversity, a traditional interview, individuals are not going to thrive in that environment. Most, again, always exceptions to the rule. So why do it? Instead, hire people slightly differently, lean on the best practice of many companies, ours included, which is why we've actually rallied up to build a career connector for neurodiversity. So 32 companies now working together to share talent pools here. So if we don't have a job, maybe Ernest & Young does, maybe Dell does, you know, we're sharing resumes with permission. So I I just think it's it's really important to learn from others. But if, if you haven't and you don't know how you're opening or closing doors to disabled talent, you're probably closing them. And it's time to time to slam them ajar. If you're not thinking about accessibility in your hiring process, you're missing out on talent. As Jenny says, making your company more accessible and inclusive is a huge competitive advantage, ensuring more diverse and creative ways of thinking. For us, part of our accessibility journey is helping others learn too. Our learnings on disability inclusion are all published. They're actually on our website, microsoft.com slash inclusive hiring. Go and check it out. And uh, there's a wealth of information up there. There's playbooks and process information and how to build central accommodations and what kind of accommodations. So there's a lot of information up there. Go research and explore and know that all of the contact details, we, we put them all over everything. If you have any questions and if you're a person with a disability and you're like, hey, this is me, I'm a bit nerdy. And, you know, I built some skills in this area or I want to learn some skills, go and explore some of the digital skills offerings that we have. All of our trainings are on our YouTube channel or explore them on LinkedIn Learning. There's a bunch there. And if this is you, go and apply for a job and be clear what you what you need, what accommodations you may want for that interview and come as you are. So what's next for Jenny? She's now heading Microsoft's commitment to combat the disability divide, inequities that exist around the world for people with disabilities. That's really our next chapter here. We're a year into that journey, and 
I really it's it's exactly what it says, which is looking at the societal inequities, the gap in societal inclusion that exists for people with disabilities around the world. I just came back from Africa and looking what that looks like there, which was humbling and incredible all at the same time. But really specifically digging into workforce, um, looking at the talent pipeline and then also raising the bar in technology. So it's just there, present, visible easy to find, easy to use. Because again, I, people with disabilities are going to come to this from any number of different avenues. And I never want the reason to be that I didn't know that you had this. So if you see accessibility louder and prouder on Microsoft products, uh, anything from Windows to, my gosh, the Azure to Power Apps to whatever it may be, know that that's part of our holistic strategy. Oh, and let's not forget about the music. Jenny still finds ways to fit in a few tunes throughout the day. She even had a hand in bringing accessible music technology to the Ability Summit. Hands-free music was released just before the pandemic. And after a brief break, the technology is now being used to create professional composition, like the song for this year's Invictus Games. The music created by a disabled veteran accompanied the athletes as they arrived for the games. You can learn about Microsoft Accessibility Journey on our website at microsoft.com slash accessibility. As I was reflecting on our conversation with Jenny, for me it became obvious that this is a great example of what every company is talking about today, which is diversity and inclusion. It is so fundamental for technology to help with inclusion. And if you think about it, for us in office engineering, it completely changed the way we design products, the way we envision the end user experiences. It can be really powerful. The other thing to think about is diversity. In this story, we really see diversity in action and the benefit for a company and for a business. If Jenny was not in our company, if she didn't bring that diverse perspective, we wouldn't have changed. We wouldn't have evolved in the way we build product. I know personally, I wouldn't have changed the way I built Office products. And that's the power of diversity. This is why having an inclusive hiring process is so fundamental for all of our success. Thank you for listening to Pivotal. I'd love to hear your story and your Pivotal moment. So don't hesitate to follow me and share on LinkedIn. Audience information is also available in the show notes. Our show is produced by Large Media. That's L-A-R-J Media. Special thanks to Lin Yang and our partners at We Communications.